We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Yeah, and I think it's good. I mean, we've shown resiliency we've shown toughness um it hasn't resulted in wins but to come back like we did the other day uh, ellie stepping up check stepping up uh, the defense improved immensely in the second half our offense was um, a lot better than that first quarter that we had so i, I think it's the sign of good things to come Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Sam, the Phoenix Suns are eight and eight of what? What is it? Like a fifth or a sixth of the way through the season? <laughs> Just uh, about. Yeah. Uh, a fifth. And how do you feel about that? Uh, I feel good about that. Um, this is nothing like it was last year. So, so last year when we would record a podcast, right? We would frequently come off these weeks where the Suns would go one and four or one and three or zero oh and four, zero oh and five or whatever, uh, and it you know we would just sound so depressed. Well, and I'm probably yeah. not doing a great job of sounding like pumped up right now. Like I'm not happy the Suns have lost these games, but in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. You can recalibrate your expectations, uh, and, and we went into this game with the context of several things. We knew first of all. The Suns just played five games in uh, seven days. That's fucking absurd. Like that, there should, there should, it just shouldn't happen. Like I personally, after watching, I don't know about you guys at home, but after watching five games and analyzing five games over the past seven days, I'm exhausted, and I can't imagine how the players feel after having to prep for that. Uh, but then the fact that they're missing basically four rotation players in Aiton. Rubio, Baines, and uh, and Ty Jerome, honestly, three of those guys being very, very critical rotation players, and they played a second night of a back-to-back 
on the road in Denver, the hardest place to win in the NBA. I don't really care that they went one and four this week. You know, I feel pretty good about eight and eight. Yeah, I do too. I think that was, we were talking before, uh, before the podcast, you and I, Sam, and, and I said it, last year, I think there were a few episodes where uh, we started recording and it sounded like someone uh, killed our puppy dog or, <laughs> or something. I don't feel that way at all right now. And maybe I should feel more attached to this. But the fact that uh, no Rubio, no Baines, who have been essentially the second and third best player on on the Suns so far this season, uh, that stretch came at the worst possible time, essentially, right? If they, they got injured, and this is the one week of the year where they have five games. Uh, so it does suck that that happened, but to see how they played without uh, those two guys, I thought was more encouraging at times than discouraging. I think that most of these games, if not all of them, I would have predicted a, a loss. Mm-hmm. I think that the one that I maybe would have predicted a win was the Pelicans game, uh, which ended up being a loss. Uh, anyway, uh, just to recap what happened in the last seven days, uh, a loss against the Celtics at home, a loss at the Kings, a loss against the Pelicans at home, and a win at Minnesota where Devin Booker looked like an absolute superstar, and then a very predictable loss in Denver tonight where they looked exhausted, uh, the fifth game in seven nights. I've been ranting about it on Twitter all night because I just... I think it's frustrating, and I guess right. I don't. I don't have to watch these games. I choose to watch them because we host a podcast about the Phoenix Suns. But I think if we didn't, I would have skipped this game because it went exactly as it went in my mind before it started, which was a relatively close game for three quarters, and then the Suns looked exhausted in the fourth quarter. and And you expect them to be late on rotations. You expect them to give up on that second jump out at the three point shooter because they're exhausted. And men- it's a mental exhaustion more more than anything. Yes, they have adrenaline going, and yes, they are young and they're and they're in shape. But it's the the mental exhaustion hits you, and specifically in Denver, the high altitude will hit you as well. So it was just this perfect storm of of, of a like a guaranteed loss. Yeah, schedule. Uh, maybe loss. I should have probably bet on this game. Is <laughs> what I should have done. <laughs> well, I, I didn't even check what the line is. Yeah, I, I usually I hate to concede you know, the idea of a scheduled loss and, like, say that there are concepts of moral victories. Like, I don't like the idea of the Suns going for moral victories, but the, it's sort of what I was referencing at the beginning of this episode, five games in seven days, when you had three full rest days the week prior, is just inconsistent scheduling that doesn't make any sense. And then it right. leads to these scenarios where you go into a game like this, and yeah, I expected the Suns to, to stay in it for half the game, maybe three quarters, and then fall apart. And that's exactly what happened. Now, that being said... Uh, you know, in order to win this game, the Suns needed Devin Booker or Kelly Oubre to show up, and that didn't quite happen. But there were some really interesting guys off the bench who had some really interesting yeah. performances here. I mean, look, just look for a second at this box score. It's a beautiful clusterfuck. Like, it's all <laughs> it's all over the place. I don't even know where to start. I mean, I guess Sheck Diallo played 36 minutes, had 22.6 rebounds. Like, that's that's probably the place to start, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, uh, you know, Czech, Czech Diallo was incredible, but I think, I honestly, the biggest surprise over this entire stretch for me uh, was Elia Kobo more, more than anything else. And, you know, I think it, it makes sense that, uh, you know, if you think about it logically, if you take Ricky Rubio out of this team and then you assume there's no Ty Jerome in the game, then Elia Kobo is the only guy that can really penetrate off dribble, you know, because Javon Carter, for all he's good at, he he gives up a lot. One step one step around his defender. If there's another guy there, 
He just backs it back up and he passes it to somebody else. He can't really penetrate and get into the paint. And Eliakobo is faster than him as well. That's with the ball, at least. And, uh, you know, those, those are the, I think those are the two guys, Eliakobo and Shek Diallo, that, that were the most impressive. And, and because they had to be, you know, with, with no point guard depth and no center depth, they actually got play time. And, uh, you know, it really shows how even, even though these are a lot of losses and, and they don't really have a roster built to win against good teams when, when everyone's injured, it does show how the end of the bench is actually relatively well-rounded out, to be honest. These guys look like NBA players. Yes, thank you. Shek Tialo is an NBA player. So Twitter was frustrating me a little bit because, I mean, I should probably just stop spending so much time on Twitter, but when <laughs> Shek Diallo uh, checked into his first few games as a son, he was exclusively... And this was a guy... For the background context, this was a guy who played like 15 minutes a game for New Orleans last year in the majority of their games. He was a rotation piece. He wasn't, you know, he had proved that he was an NBA player. He wasn't an exceptional player. There was a reason the Suns were able to scoop him up so easily. Um, but he, he's not complete garbage. And people were treating him when he was coming in and playing garbage time his first few games like he was complete garbage. And now after today, it's sort of flipped the switch and people are acting like, you know, Shek Diallo is this great piece that maybe he should start. I think the answer is is probably somewhere in the middle. I've been impressed yeah. with him over the past stretch, but he's sticking to his game. He's not doing anything all that impressive. He's not a great rim protector, quite honestly. He's a lot more athletic than Frank Kaminsky, and that's why maybe it looks appealing for Suns fans right now. Um, but he still does this thing. He plays a little bit like, you know, a noob on... 2k who's you know smashing the triangle button a little bit too much jumping up for the block when you should just go for the contest (laughs) like you get him up in the air too easily and then you can cook him but overall he's doing a good job defensively he's obviously an athletic player he's not a lob threat but he does have that really nice floater game so you know overall I've been impressed he's definitely an NBA player Um, and I think if you want to discuss like should he get more minutes and should you bump down Frank Kaminsky's minutes uh, that's a very reasonable thing for us to talk about. I don't think, you know, he's uh, a rising star for the Suns or anything, obviously. Well, he- here's what I'll, I'll say about that. Um, in this game, particularly, he- something that Suns fans need to recognize when, when talking about this, Shek Diallo's 6'8". He's not a seven-footer. He's not a massive guy. And the Nuggets start Paul Millsap and Jokic. That's a massive, massive, massive group of guys there. Those are first of all, Jokic takes up the, the space of two regular players and he's seven feet tall. And then Millsap was just abusing whoever was guarding him, regardless of who it was, because he plays power forward and he's essentially a center and he's able to abuse whoever guards him. And I think you put Shek Diallo in there, maybe he does okay for a while on Jokic. But I think that's not like a sustainable thing against all lineups. Right. If you start a six-eight center, you might be okay sometimes. But I think there's a lot of there's a lot of guys. I, I think the the Frank Kaminsky slander is a little overboard. I, well, I think yeah. a lot of times we tend to do this, right? We whoever's playing well at the time, it's like they should start. They should start, and whoever's not, they shouldn't start. Whatever it is, um, and I, I don't always see it that way. I think that there are times where they have bad games, or there are times where they're outmatched. And I think that there are a lot of times where whoever was in that position would likely be outmatched. And I think particularly this Denver game, as bad as Kaminsky can be on the on the defensive end, I think that there are still positives of him being on the court. And, and the, the reality, the truth of this really is that Frank Kaminsky is a bench player and he's starting and that's out of a necessity. And if we really want to trace that back, yeah, this is this is what happens when DeAndre Ayton lets the team down. 
ultimately, there that's really what it is. There it DeAndre is. DeAndre Ayton is not playing. He said it, and not here's me. the thing. You said, I've it, said it, not it, me. Come it's after Mike. Don't don't go after me, please. <laughs> Feel free because I said it from when when it started, when he was suspended. I said this team is much more suited to play without a player than ever before. But what will happen? We will eventually lose games because DeAndre Ayton is not playing because there is a player who is not playing even though he's not injured. That means when an injury does occur, your depth is massively hurt. This is something that we talked about weeks and weeks and weeks ago. It's something that I talked about on Twitter weeks and weeks and weeks ago. This was predictable. To let your team down like this is really disappointing. And I think, you know, it's funny that all of this is happening while Luka Doncic is playing like an MVP. We don't have to have that conversation. But it does kind of, it it, it almost puts a little finger in the wound that (laughs) that already hurts a little bit for Suns fans, right? Because... Not only is Doncic playing like an MVP right now, but we don't even get to see DeAndre Ayton play. We don't, and and you know how well he played at the beginning of the season. It would be nice to see some more of that. And actually, seeing how Diallo fits into the offense, you could just picture how uh, Ayton would be dominating in that very similar role. So it, you know, yeah, it just it just hurts true. that that DeAndre Ayton is out like this right now uh, when you need him. Yeah, it does. And overall, you know, the Suns starting lineup right now with Frank Kaminsky, like, you know, if you guys are frustrated at Frank Kaminsky, I get it. You're trusting your eyes and the numbers agree with your eyes. The Suns starting lineup of um, Tyler Johnson. Well, we should talk about Tyler Johnson, too. But Tyler Johnson, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Dario Saric, uh, Frank Kaminsky has only played 37 minutes together through today. But in 37 minutes, they've got a net rating of minus 25 per 100 possessions, an offensive rating of 94.7 points, defensive rating of 120 points that they're hemorrhaging uh, on defense. They're a terrible defensive team. Now, that doesn't mean Frank doesn't have his offensive strengths. I think his shot is going to come back to him. He's objectively a better playmaker than Sheck as well. Uh, but there are trade-offs there, and, and all of it comes back to, like you said, the Suns don't have the depth. Neither of these guys are legitimate starting centers. Neither of these guys are arguably NBA centers at all. They both might be uh, better suited for power forward. So yeah, it sucks. But with re- with regard to the whole Aiton Luca thing, you know, obviously we have to move on. We have DeAndre Aiton, so I'm not so interested in focusing on that aspect of the conversation. But mostly, the Suns need to challenge DeAndre Aiton, and DeAndre Aiton kind of needs to challenge himself to be the best version of himself that he can be. Not so mm-hmm. much to just focus on the second contract, but you know, he has let the fan base down he has let the team down and he needs to come back from these 25 games regardless of what Trey Young is doing regardless of what Luka Doncic is doing uh, he needs to show serious improvement like you know statistically uh defensively in terms of his basketball IQ just everything needs to be a lot better to make up for this mistake because this team really needs him right now and it's shown over the past week you know this is kind of funny I have this theory about Frank Kaminsky that I haven't talked about yet because it's kind of insulting to him (laughs) but my theory is that when Frank Kaminsky makes a mistake, it's magnified by the way he looks. <laughs> and and yeah. what I mean by that is he just has kind of a goofy face and a goofy look to him. And I feel like those mistakes that he makes are so magnified by how goofy he looks after the mistakes. And the reason I say that is because you and other people have talked about how he is not hitting shots right now. But the reality is he's actually, since Baines went out, he's shooting 40% from three. So he actually is hitting shots and that's on six attempts a game. Um, I'm sorry, no, four attempts a game. So it's not like a, it's like one per quarter essentially. Uh, And he is actually hitting it. Yes, it would be nice if he was shooting more and making more, 
But it is this funny thing where he's actually making shots right now, and it feels like he isn't because of just the mistakes he makes are so magnified. I mean, they're, they're more obvious, I think, than other players just because of how goofy uh, he plays on the floor. Right, and how, how uh, goofy he looks when he switches onto a smaller player and, and gets burned consistently yeah. because it happens or doesn't protect the rim because it's not something he can do. But it's not something we expected him to be able to do. He's a bench player that we used a room exception on to sign for $5 million for one season. Maybe we keep him around next season because we gave him a team option. This is not a guy who's supposed to be a starting center on a 35-40 win team if that's what we're projecting the Suns to be. Bottom line. If we're talking about who is going to stay around next season, we have to quickly talk about Tyler Johnson because... <laughs> Tyler Johnson, I, I said it at the beginning of the year, I, I don't like hearing about Tyler Johnson in these trades. because I, Although he has the most right tradable salary, he makes a lot of money. If you're trying to trade for someone who's good, he eats up a lot of that salary and it's expiring contracts. So like, for example, if you want Kevin Love, it's a perfect chance. Ch- trade Tyler Johnson, you get Kevin Love. I don't they want get the Kevin space Love, next that's year. a conversation right. for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an example. But I think that the way that Tyler Johnson is playing right now, I don't think there's ever been like an easier decision as to whether or not he should be in the trade discussions come the, the trade deadline. Now, it's nice to open up that cap space. We've talked about it. There's not a lot of reason to be excited about the free agents next year. Say you look at Gallinari, for example, and you want Gallinari on the Suns, which would be a great option. Uh, that's something that Tyler Johnson would be up for if OKC wants some cap space next year. It's just an example, and and you know he's been he's been bad. He's starting now. He he didn't start off uh, starting. There was a, a brief Javon Carter cameo <laughs> in the starting lineup, um, and that did not go very far. He's only playing garbage time now and a little bit in this Denver game. Uh, but Tyler Johnson, he, I pulled the stats before this game. I haven't looked at him wow. since this game. Uh, in in the starting lineup and and since Rubio was out, he's shooting twenty eight percent, and that includes sixteen percent from three. Yeah, and it's ugly. And so he was a minus eight today in seventeen minutes. He was a minus eight in the win against Minnesota, New Orleans. Uh, the Suns lost by three. Tyler Johnson was a minus fourteen. Sacramento Suns lost by four. Tyler Johnson was a minus six. Boston Suns lost by fourteen. Tyler Johnson was a minus thirty. Um. It's tough, especially because there were other bench players that were struggling too. Like we talked about Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges a couple of weeks ago struggling. And now those Mm -hmm. guys you start to see with a consistently positive plus minus. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of now just Tyler Johnson, which compounds it for him because it's so much more noticeable when it's sort of just him. I think it comes down to there are clearly a few options on this roster that would be just as good as Tyler Johnson is right now uh, for a fraction of the price. But do you really trust any of those guys to be a backup point guard on like a good team long term? If we're talking about our three options are Elia Kobo, and I like Elia Kobo, and I like the job he's done over the past five games. But it it hasn't been, uh, let's just say, completely convincing. Like over the past five games, Elia Kobo has had some beautiful plus minuses on his box scores. He's still shot overall 11 for 32 from the field. He's hit a few threes. Uh, but his finishing, like even when he makes it, kind of looks like it shouldn't go in if it's anywhere within 12 to 15 feet. So Elia Kobo right there scares me a little bit. Ty Jerome, I love Ty Jerome. I think he could do as good a job as Tyler Johnson is doing right now. And I think that's the guy maybe you should groom to be the replacement. But again, a rookie, kind of hard to put your confidence in that. And Javon Carter yeah. is a pest defensively, but it's exactly what you said just a few minutes ago. No yeah. penetration offensively <clears throat> if you play Javon Carter heavy minutes. So yeah. 
all of those guys, they're, they're being paid, what, two to three million dollars each, and they could do a solid job, and you could do away with Tyler Johnson. Um, but if Tyler Johnson eventually gets out of this slump, if he goes back to his old self of averaging, say, 12 and 5, 40% three-point shooting, uh, can any of those other options really give you that off the bench? I'm not sure. You know, it's the unfair... This is an example of the unfair position that Suns fans are about to put Ty Jerome in once he does come back. And for the record, we don't know when that's going to be. Gambo tweeted out at the beginning of the week that he's still weeks away. There was an ominous Instagram post by Ty Jerome that just said <laughs> soon. So, you know, it could be... Hopefully, it's it's as early as maybe next week. Or there's only... This is the funniest thing about the unbalanced schedule, right? Five games this week. There's only two games next week. Uh, so, you know, it's just an example. In the next seven days, there's only two games. Uh, so say he takes those two games out the third game after this maybe he comes back then which is uh, two weeks from now or a week and a half from now Uh, there is going to be a lot of pressure for him to perform well right away I think he's going to be excellent we've talked about it before we talked to his dad about it I think I think you think he's going to be good as well but the disadvantage that we have now is that he needs to be Right, he he almost needs to be good. Well, and that's a little unfair to him thing. because it would be nice to kind of develop him slowly into that role, and you know, w- uh, maybe we're not going to have the opportunity to do that. We're talking about the point guard position right now, but let's go even bigger. This is about not just the point guard position; it's about the lofty expectations Suns fans have put on this team as a result of their strong start. So, does Ty Jerome need to be good? If we were shooting for the original goal for this season, which was to win 35 games, maybe like 32, 33 games even, was the original projection that we had, he doesn't have to be that good. Honestly, he doesn't even have to play. Do the Suns actually want to make the playoffs? Then yes, he has to be good. But that just speaks to the crazy amount that our expectations have shifted uh, over the past few weeks. You know, it's funny, you just mentioned the playoffs and it just triggered something in my mind that I've been thinking about. I watched the unveiling of Project 201, which is the arena renovations that are coming to the Phoenix Suns. And the plan for the arena renovations... Sorry, Sam, let me go on a bit of a tangent here. That's fine. (laughs) The plan for the (laughs) arena renovations is that the arena will be closed immediately after the last game of the season. They will work on the arena renovations throughout. The Mercury will play somewhere else for their season. No events at all in Talking Stick Resort Arena for the summer. It will open back up. The idea is 60% done at the beginning of next season, and they will slowly work on it and then close down again next summer, and it'll be done by the 2021-2022 season. I bring up all that to say, in this, they talked about whether this project will be on time and on budget. Robert Sarver said, it will definitely not be on budget but it has to be on time. It absolutely has to be on time. This has to be done when we say it needs to be done. The funniest part about that is if the Suns make the playoffs, it's gonna, the, the construction's going to start a little later than they planned. It sounds like the plan for these arena renovations was that the Suns are not going to make the playoffs <laughs> and especially not go deep in the playoffs. Did- and I just found myself thinking, wow, Robert Sarver planned this whole thing so that the Suns don't make no, the playoffs. So, <laughs> uh, was Were renovations planned for, did it say summer? Did it say spring? Like, the playoffs start in April. That leaves a pretty mm-hmm. wide window. 
you know? Well, there's nothing scheduled past, there's nothing scheduled in Talking Stick Resort Arena past the last game of the regular season for the Suns. No concerts, no Disney on Ice, (laughs) nothing. Well, I see that as flexibility. Uh, But also being a realist, like, yeah, obviously the Suns didn't expect to make the playoffs. Well, okay, the the coaches, yeah, you asked Monty Williams if he expected to make the playoffs, yeah. Uh, But I honestly don't believe James Jones or Robert Sarver expected to make the playoffs this year. That couldn't have yeah. been their goal going in. The goal was to improve the team, raise the floor, yada, yada, yada. We've talked about it before. So clearing yeah, that I, schedule makes sense to me. I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. roast. Ro- There's plenty no. to roast Robert Sarver for, but, but not for that. Yeah, it was just a funny thing where the priority, the priority is now uh, finishing this as quickly as possible. And I don't blame him. And just to, uh, to continue that tangent for a bit, uh, the arena renovation plans look incredible. It actually looks really good. I, I have this like baseline expectation for anything Robert Sarver does, and it's very low. <laughs> so I expected something that looked cheesy. I expected something that looked a little too family-friendly, uh, and it didn't. It looked like a grown-up adult arena. Like It looked like a, a modern NBA arena. So, so they did a good job on that, uh, and I hope that it all turns out uh, based on uh, the plans, but let's get back to basketball. <laughs> Thank you for my little tangent there. Um, I do want to talk about Mikhail Bridges. So you wrote an article on Mikhail Bridges for Bright Side of the Sun at the beginning of the week, and he has come in and played some more minutes. He didn't play as much in the second half uh, in this Denver Yeah, he didn't, Denver he didn't play game. much tonight. I, I think Monty has kind of taken an interesting approach with Mikhail Bridges versus Cam Johnson at this point. It's pretty case-dependent, I think. What what do you think? What do you think about Mikhail Bridges so far? Uh, well, his uh, the team is outscoring their opponents while he's on the floor, kind of consistently now, and I think that's for a reason. Uh, basically, what the article was about was that he's uh, obviously not making his threes, and that continues to be frustrating. And and believe me, guys, like watching Mikhail Bridges air ball an easy catch and shoot opportunity like he did the other night was that against New Orleans. Uh, a few mm-hmm. nights ago. Yeah, that's that's as painful for me as it is for anybody. You know, it brings tears to my eyes, too. Uh, but he is still effective on offense. You know, he's still making passes to other players, uh, getting assists. He's still finding cutting lanes. Uh, and, and just defensively, he's a, a phenomenal, phenomenal talent in that he's so um, malleable to any scheme that you want to do. You know, something that the Suns have really struggled with since Aaron Baines came out of the lineup is that they've tried these different defensive approaches. Sometimes it's switching, sometimes it's trapping, and, and you know, it's been met with various levels of success, I think, in particular, because some of those back-end defenders like Frank Kaminsky and Dario Saric have really struggled, but a guy who I think has thrived in all of that is Mikhail Bridges, because you can kind of plug and play him into any defensive system and be confident that he's going to be okay. And that's just not something you can say for most players on this roster. Somebody has to find out what the hell happened to his shot. Well, well yeah, I, okay, that's the big I, thing. I get it. I think because it's one thing to miss shots and and everything looks fine, right? Like Tyler Johnson, for example, not shooting very well. Nothing has changed in his shot, you know? Like he maybe is, is whipping it up a little faster than he did last season, but that's about it. For Mikhail Bridges... It, it it looks like Charles Barkley's golf swing. There's <laughs> there's a hitch in the middle of his shot. And and mind you, it's exaggerated because his arms are extra long and they're essentially two levers that you get to see uh shooting the ball up like like a shot put almost. And I you know, somebody has to ask that question. I I don't envy anyone that does, but I feel like 
the hitch is so obvious now, and there was a wide open corner three in this Denver game where he put it up and it was bad. It looked very bad, uh, but especially the form. I feel like at this point somebody has to ask about it, and, and we'll see if anybody does. And, 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 and admittedly, I understand why they don't, right? Because they're probably not going to get a straight answer anyway. Uh, and he's just going to be like, oh, you know, he's working on his form. You know, I have confidence that he's going to shoot really well, and uh, he's been very good outside of that, still contributing throughout, yada, 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 that kind of answer. But at this point, it's it's so obvious that there's got to be some sort of story behind that. And, and I, I would like to know what that is because it's painful. I'm afraid I don't have the answers for you. I, I wish yeah. I did. But what's the minimum that that percentage has to be at for McHale to be, like, continue to be looked at as number three most valuable asset on this roster after Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, if that makes sense? Or, or I guess, so... Maybe it's another reevaluation of expectations, right? Coming into this season, did you view Mikhail Bridges as the third most important asset on this team? Asset I'm talking about in terms of like a combination of future potential. Like it's a weird word because it's like, how valuable can this player be if they continue to suit up for us for the next five years? But also how valuable are they as a trade chip? Who yes. was number? Th- 100% yes. Okay. He definitely So won. now is it still Mikhail Bridges or is it Kelly Oubre? Well, king, Kelly Oubre only has a year on his contract after this. If we're talking about you know like trade asset. That's not much. That's not much of one. And admittedly, one of the smart things I think that this team has done is have relatively clean books going forward. So there's very few guys that are on long term deals. Uh, you know, if you go down the line, you get to Jalen LeCue pretty fast as far as the <laughs> longest deals on the Suns. And, you know, so so there's not there's not a lot of trade pieces. I think Tyler Johnson's expiring contract probably being one of the better ones so far. And obviously they're not going to trade Devin Booker and they're not going to trade DeAndre Ayton, you know, unless Carl Anthony Towns becomes available. And even then, maybe they'll want to see more time in Monty Williams's offense and, and his coaching style with DeAndre Ayton. Maybe he can unlock something in him that makes him more of a star player, more of a, a, a actual all-star level talent. So, you know, there's not a lot. And I, I definitely thought Mikhail Bridges was that guy. We talked about it this offseason. Who did we have the highest expectations for? Mikhail Bridges was the guy that worked his ass off the entire offseason. Well, in, in the last five games, he's shot 11% from three. But it, okay, but it's shown. It can't be that. But it's shown. Okay, so he's worked his ass off over the summer. And I think he's improved at everything. He continues to, he's doing more drives than last year. You know, he's got more shake to his game. His defense is better. He's a smarter player. I, I honestly believe that everything has gotten better for Mikhail except for the shot. And it's just crazy to me because I look, you know, this is a sample size. Hate to play this card because we're 15 games into the season now. <laughs> but we're talking about a sample size of 26 attempted threes. That's three games for Carl Anthony Towns, if you think about it. You know, yeah. I, I think it's going to come back. It's a faith-based argument. I get that. Well, <laughs> but there's there's no there's no one that I have more faith in than Mikhail Bridges. He's just he, what's that character deserves to succeed at the NBA level. <laughs> what's especially weird is the more time he takes, the more open he is, the worse it looks. It looks it looks He's really timid. bad. <laughs> He's timid and I don't know who coached that into him. You know what the weirdest part too is He's one for nine in the last five games, right? So he's bad. That's 11%. But he's 17 for 17 from the free throw line. (laughs) Like, he's making free throws. He's able to hit those. 
uh, but there's something there's something just not right. There's, it's a mental problem. It feels like from the, from the three point line, and I don't know what it is. Maybe um, you know I'm sticking to my drafted by Philadelphia lose your jump shot. Theory. Uh, well, that's that's a good theory, but you know most athletes. I think do a really good job of tuning everything out, all the bullshit that comes from outside. Maybe Mikhail Bridges is it's just because he re- followed me. That's what I was getting at, man. Maybe he's just <laughs> oh, a sorry. really big fan of the podcast. It's my fault. Yeah, he does follow I you on Twitter. It. He does. This is all my fault. So just shut up about it, and I'll start making shots. Yeah, can I we agree right I'll, now I'll to stop honest. talking about Mikhail Bridges' shot? And I guarantee, within like two weeks, we'll be like, it's back. Well, I don't tweet about it. Because, but people do. Well, yes, people do, and sometimes I comment on those tweets, admittedly. But I don't. I I'm aware of the fact that he follows me now when I tweet. So like, I'll type something up in my drafts, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want. I don't want him to see that, <laughs> and I'll just delete. He's it. definitely um, already muted you. It's, it's it. amazing okay. that right he now. hasn't unfollowed you already. All right, we're gonna stop talking oh, okay. about Mikhail Bridges' shot, and it's gonna come a, back. A moratorium on on talk <laughs> about Mikhail Bridges' shot. For how long? How long are we going to do this? Well, Two, three weeks. Within three weeks, he'll have taken like four more attempts, right? Let's <laughs> say we are not going to talk about it until 2020. Come on, but then we we need stuff to talk about for the podcast. It's just though. a month. We need content. It's okay, just, until just a month. until 2020. No talking about <laughs> Mikhail Bridges' shot. We're agreeing right now. No more yes. talking about Mikhail Bridges' shot until 2020. Yes. And watch, okay. guys, it's going to come back. Just like that. Okay, but I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to forget about this, and it, there's a chance that you'll remember, Sam, but if either of us forget and you see us talking about it on Twitter or you hear us talking about it on the podcast, it's up to you, the the, the people that are listening to this right now, to hold us accountable for this because, uh, you know, I still pronounce Dario Sharic's name Me wrong too. regularly. Every single so time. There, <laughs> there's a chance that we are going, speaking of Sharic, let's, let's move on to that. Okay. One of the better games of his career. His career high is thirty-two points. Now he didn't. He didn't get close to that, but he had sixteen rebounds. I think he ended with the sixteen rebounds, mm-hmm. which is a new career high for him. His previous career high was uh, fifteen rebounds, and he was absolutely incredible in this game. It's just a shame that it was wasted on like a, a, a game that was like a guaranteed loss. If I looked at the schedule uh, a month before the season, I would have marked this one as a loss. I hope that he can build off of this. That's really the goal when a player has a good game that's been struggling. Right. Uh, and he had an excellent game. What did you think of him? Well, the threes are, are going to be sustainable uh, to an extent. I mean, he's he's a he's a hot and cold player. The rebounds aren't sustainable. He's not Andre Drummond now. I'm looking at the box score. 17 defensive rebounds, by the way, I think is interesting. No offensive rebounds. Because I was actually prepared to come into this episode and praise the Suns for their ability to crash the glass and get offensive rebounds without Aaron Baines or DeAndre Ayton. They've done a good job of that over the past four games up until uh, today's game against Denver. And then Denver uh, absolutely blasted them in that area. I think Denver finished with 19 offensive rebounds to the Suns' seven. So I don't want to give Sarge too much praise because he did the best he could. Um, But the three-point shooting is there. And I don't know. It wasn't like a particularly impressive game for me. It was impressive in the sense that he held up the team uh, and basically kept them in the game while Devin Booker and Kelly Oubre were struggling. But it didn't exceed my expectations of what he can do. I've always believed that Darius Sarge is going to have games like this. Yeah, you know, I think that Jokic brings something out of him. I don't know exactly what that is. And Jokic, by the way, only had 
eight points, five assists, mm. and still had 13 rebounds because he's like a tractor that parks under the rim. Uh, but if you remember back to the, the, the second game of the season, I believe, was the, the Denver game where uh, Rubio was fouled in that three-point attempt, went into overtime because he hit all three of his free throws. Dario Saric guarded Jokic in that overtime. Jokic was... Uh, he was 0 for. He didn't have any field goals in that overtime, and and Dario played him very well to start this game with two bigs. Saric was Saric was still guarding uh, Nikola Jokic and and did a very good job. And I think there's just something there's something there. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'll have to go back and look at some games where uh, he played against Jokic on his previous two teams and see if if there's just something there where Dario has an excellent game against Jokic. But it was really interesting. Not only I think did he do very well offensively i think that he does well guarding jokic and i think if if you want dario to guard anyone the ideal is someone who's not super fast <laughs> because dario's not super fast so jokic being just a large guy who doesn't move very quickly that's kind of a good scenario for dario and he just kind of plants his feet and and takes the hits as he goes and i was very impressed with him i thought this was a really good game i hope especially shooting-wise, I hope he can build off of it. You want to talk about Frank looking awkward, though? Uh, Dario, I think, has become the master of post shots, like hook shots that just don't look like they should go... Uh, like they should go, go... Fuck. Like they should go in. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm struggling with that so much. Uh, it's like he spins the wrong way every time. Yeah. When he's going for it. And yet, it still works. Uh, sometimes. sometimes. Like, he's not like a great post <laughs> player, but you understand what I mean. Like, it went in today. Yeah. It was solid. Uh, I wanted to give him some credit for his post game. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, I think that he's missed a lot of shots at the rim that frustrate a lot of Suns fans, to be honest. I think that uh, what he does well can sometimes go a little unnoticed. It's nice for Dario to have this good of a game in a game like this against Denver, who's currently the second best team in the Western Conference, which makes them likely the second or third best team in the NBA, uh, and and actually play well against a team that well that good, I should say. Uh, so it was nice there. Um, but we'll see if he can build off of it. There's going to be some interesting games that we'll talk about at the end you know, of this podcast coming up. You know what we should talk about? The one mm-hmm. win the Suns had this week? I feel like we haven't yeah. like really dived into it. Yeah. Yeah, it was against Minnesota. It was 100 to 98, right? It, it sounds really close. The, the Minnesota Timberwolves hit a three right at the last second to bring it uh, within two. It wasn't really that close throughout the game. Devin Booker had a career high in rebounds. He had nine assists and he had 35 points without making a single three-pointer because somehow his three-point ability was zapped away from him Space Jam style this week because Ricky Rubio's not playing with him apparently or Aaron Baines the massive screens but he was absolutely incredible in that game and I think that's that's the story of that game is that Devin Booker put the entire team on his shoulders and it was heavy because his legs hurt yes. clearly in this Denver game the story of this game to me was like it was partially about Devin Booker but not completely related to that obviously he took over the game but there's been this, you've noticed for sure, right? There's been this narrative going around the past week or so, kind of annoying, about Devin Booker not being mm. aggressive enough in games. And the mm. biggest thing that came out of this win to me was that that is absolute bullshit. The reason that it's bullshit is actually because of poor execution by Minnesota. Now, uh, Ryan Saunders is a young coach. He's the coach over in Minnesota. As I was rewatching this game, 
I had absolutely no idea what the fuck they were doing. And part of this was on the fault of the players. They committed a lot of stupid fouls. They didn't hit their free throws. The Suns, I think, in this game shot 92% from the free throw throw line. The T-Wolves shot like 59%. So that right there is going to give and take a bunch of points. And the Suns could have lost just for that reason. But above all else, why did the Timberwolves not trap Devin Booker at all in this game? Even once he was heating up in the second half. Like, he started out the game two for eight from the field. I get it if you thought the strategy was working then. But then you see him start to heat up in the third quarter, and you don't trap him. You don't use the strategy that every other team has used against him. What did Denver do to Devin Booker today? Mm -hmm. And it was very effective. What did the Suns do to Trey Young the other week when they won that game? When they went into that game realizing that Trey Young was the only effective offensive weapon on that team. Like, the fact that Devin Booker didn't see the trap in this game uh, said to me that it was just very, very poor execution by the Timberwolves. And especially for a team, the Suns really struggled offensively here, shooting 34% from the field as a roster. Uh, You know, it took Devin Booker kind of, A, putting the team on his back, but also B, the stupidity of Minnesota to be able to win that game. I think a smart coach would have been able to beat the Suns there, and I think the Suns lucked out a little bit. But overall, I think it speaks to, to go back to my original point, it's not that Devin Booker has been passive. It's that he continues to see these double teams that he's been seeing for years and years and years. Yes, I know it's a meme, and people like to joke about it based on that summer workout video, but it really is true that that's how teams continue to play him, especially when Aaron Baines and Ricky Rubio and DeAndre Ayton are all out of the lineup. And when you got a game where the Timberwolves didn't want to trap him, you see what happens. He's more than capable of being aggressive. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this week, if anything, was a reminder of what last season was like because you take out a point guard, you take out um, quality players just in general out of the lineup, then it looks a little bit more like last season. And if you look at his shooting splits, 47% from uh, the field goal and uh, 28% from three, those look a lot more like last season as well. That's what happens when you take good players out of the lineup. His efficiency drops. He becomes less effective. He's a better player surrounded by good players. That's, that's how good players are. It's it's not an insult to him. It's not a knock. There's really only one guy who can who can raise the ceiling on on a really bad team, and that's LeBron James. There's there's I mean we saw even what Steph Curry looked like at the beginning of the season when you take away a lot of the great players that he's been playing with for a long time. It's very difficult to raise a team that doesn't have a bunch of good players on it and be really good. And I think that was just a good reminder of what last year was like, a a bad reminder, I think, of what last year was like more than anything else because um, he had that one good game and he had, you know, he had 30 points in the loss, I think, against Sacramento. Like he had some good games, like he played well. Uh, but this Denver game, you know, he looked exhausted and he looked like someone who couldn't keep it up. And uh, he's tired of being trapped, probably. It's it's a difficult thing. And you, you get the ball out of his hands. He he can create out of that six, uh, 6.6 assists. But he also is turning the ball over relatively a lot, basically. Yeah. 4.8 turnovers this week. So right. almost five turnovers in this ugly, ugly stretch. But I think, you know, it's... It is what it is. I think what what has been impressive, I think, for the Suns in general in this stretch is that they were still able to create relatively good offense Mm -hmm. without a lot of great players. The culture is there. And by that, I mean, they're still they still were averaging like a lot of assists this whole week. 
I have a, yep. Yeah, what is that stat? So, I, I was about to look it up. Over the last five games, the Suns as a team have 121 assists to 62, tur- 62 turnovers. Uh, that's a ratio of 1.95. Last season, the Suns had a ratio of 1.53 as a team. So you've taken Ricky Rubio out uh, of the lineup, but I think it's going too far to say that it's like last season because it's kind of just a little disrespectful. And I'm not saying that you're doing this, but it's just, it's a little disrespectful to, you know, the playmaking of a Devin Booker, but also guys like Dario Saric, uh, Saric, I'm sorry. uh, And Frank Kaminsky and Aaron Baines when he was in the lineup. But, you know, these guys are still capable of uh, finding each other and, you know, generating assists. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. It's not quite like last season. I think more than anything else, just watching this team with only one playmaker uh, at the guard position, I think is what reminded me of last season. It's just Devin Booker sort of all by himself in that role. And that's just a little too much for him. It's a little too much for most players, especially in the system that they play. It's kind of built for two ball handlers, just kind of like every system is now in the NBA. Every player has to be good at everything in order for a team to be good now. That's where the NBA is at. You can barely have specialized roles in general. You have to be good on rotating on defense. You have to be good at passing. You have to be good at driving. You have to be good at dribbling. It's just where the NBA is now. Uh, very few play- very few players can survive without being great. And uh, Devin Booker struggled a little bit. And I think that that Minnesota game was nice to have in the middle of this week because it was just it's kind of a rough week. I'm not overall disappointed with the results, but I did watch every game and that's not super fun. You know what I (laughs) want to say? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, it wasn't super fun. You know what I want to say about that Minnesota game? That's not like fully relevant, but just watching Carl Anthony Towns, this was like my first close look where I was watching a full game of Carl Anthony Towns this year. And it really snuck up on me that he shoots 10 threes a game now. Like I knew it, but just seeing it, doesn't it make you think of just like what an offense around Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns would actually look like. Like, punt D'Angelo Russell out of the equation for a second. I know they all <laughs> want to play together. I don't really care about him. But just, it's it was just fascinating. Like, even though Towns didn't play particularly well, and there are some reasons for that too, I think Monty Williams actually did a fantastic job scheming. I usually hate zone defense at the NBA level. But given you went into that game knowing that the Wolves are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA and you just prevent Towns from catching the ball and getting good positioning and use the zone for that and banking on the Wolves uh, missing open shots, the Suns did a great job. It played right into their strategy uh, and I'd credit Williams for that. But usually, Carl Anthony Towns uh, just taking that many threes and continuing to be as good of a post-up threat and a pick-and-roll finishing threat as he is. And then you have a guy like Devin Booker who can have a 35-point triple-double game where he doesn't even hit a three. Uh, is just a phenomenal one-two, one-two punch. Sorry. Yeah, uh, Towns is fucking ridiculous. That's the only way to really talk about him because he shoots like Dirk, but he can still post up and drive and in face up he has everything he's essentially like this weird combination of Dirk Nowitzki and Amari Stoudemire <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really bizarre like there's you shouldn't be that good at both of those things at that size they, he is they ran plays for him that looked like plays coming for uh, guards right yeah yeah like a JJ Redick yes <laughs> pin down. <laughs> yes like a J literally a JJ Redick pinned down he ran to the corner uh with the ball coming out of the sideline uh, or coming out of the baseline, sorry. And he made it. Like, just plays that look like guards. It's absurd. Surround those two with a few guards. If you can somehow get those two together on the same team, hopefully in Phoenix, not in Minnesota. I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying you really want to win a championship. Let's talk about that. Yeah, that's that's I could I've said it before. And hey, hey, maybe DeAndre Ayton can be that guy one day. Yeah. We don't know. You know, yeah, it's definitely I don't know about the shooting, but if he can dominate other places, if he can really just be a dominant defensive player in his prime, which is still possible. Like I know there's a lot of things that he has to work on, but it takes a lot of time to be a good defensive player for a big man in the NBA. And uh, it's still possible. If he can do that and still be as efficient as he's been throughout his career, that's a really damn good player and very rare. It's, you know, very rare. Even Cap, for all he's good at, still not quite a defender that can be great. And and we'll see if he gets better at that going forward. Uh, I think we're ready to go to our brand new segment here, Sam. You ready? Let's do it. All right. This is called Player of the Week. Original. From this week on. I know. From this week (laughs) on, we're going to try to choose one player every week. Sam and I separately choose one player every week to talk about. And this could be for any reason that we want it to be. It could be a Suns player. It could be a player from a different team or a different era. There's no rules. We don't want to put any restrictions on this because let's just allow us to say whatever we want whenever we want. But there is one part of this I haven't told you about, Sam. What is that? And that is that I logged on to the website called Fiverr earlier today, and I paid $12 for someone to write a theme song for this segment. So I don't have it yet, but sometime in the next 10 days, I will be emailed a track. What the hell is wrong with you? I will be emailed a track that I have no control over, of other than what I told them about, which is essentially what I just said now. See, and <laughs> yes, why do you say there are no rules and then you give yourselves rules? So you paid $12 <laughs> for a theme song that might be terrible that we have to play anyway because you said so? If it's terrible, it's almost better. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I paid $12 for a theme song that I have no control of outside of I just told them what the thing is, and we're going to listen to it every time. I, I picked someone who's good, right? I had options. I didn't pay for the $5 options. I paid for the $12 option. <laughs> I went for the high-class fiver, and uh, and uh, she's, she's a woman, and she sings, and she has a great voice, and hopefully she's going to make a great song that is going to be 30 seconds or less that we will play before the Player of the Week segment starting in the next episode or two. Uh, so, Sam, hopefully it's good. Um, either way, I already paid twelve dollars, so we're gonna get it. <laughs> and that's basically as much as we've earned on the podcast this year. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, player of the week. Uh, Sam, you can go first on this. All right. Well, you know what? I think that's a good idea because I have a feeling I'm gonna actually talk about basketball players on this team. <laughs> so I'm gonna talk about Kelly Oubre. Look, I think Devin Booker realistically was the best player on the Suns this week. Honestly, after today's game, I was banking on one of the two of them to have the better game so that it could give them the edge and then they both kind of shat the bed a little bit. But Oubre had such a good stretch. Um, His five games from that Atlanta win to that Minnesota win, uh, he averaged 23 points, 7.6 rebounds, and 2.4 steals per game. He's also like passing now a little bit. I'm not saying I expect a lot out of him, but have you also noticed that he's gotten uh, maybe a couple more games over the past stretch of you know just the last couple of weeks or so where he's getting like three assists maybe even four assists in a game every now yeah. and then so that's impressive to me uh, and just more so than anything the two wins that the Suns most recently got a couple of weeks ago against Atlanta and then against Minnesota he was so crucial to both of those wins that I just want to give him some credit that doesn't mean I think he's the best player of the week but I don't even think we've talked about him yet in this episode so I think this mm-hmm. was a good way to just make sure uh, we're talking about Kelly Oubre a little bit he didn't have a great game tonight 
but he had a nasty dunk uh, in like the third yeah. quarter against Denver. That was really cool. Yeah, he had a, he had a two really good dunks. I thought, but the, the the second one was a a monster like poster on Plumlee. So Kelly Oubre is such a fascinating player because at times he looks like an all star, other times he doesn't. But I think since the Lakers game where he had one point, he's just he's just been good. Like mm-hmm. it's it's hard to like point at any single game and say he had a bad game. He's just been yeah. good. And I think there are times where his decision-making is bad, but there's not a lot of those moments in the last five or six games that I can really think of. We need him to do what he can do. You'll remember at the beginning of the season, I was arguing against the idea of starting Mikhail Bridges because I just thought the starting lineup needs a guy like Kelly Oubre. And I think you know, there was no predicting that Mikhail Bridges was going to be what he's been. But I think that this stretch of games by Kelly Oubre has shown why he's so needed in that starting lineup, he attacks and attacks and attacks. And any guy who puts pressure on defense defenses like that is good for a team because it opens up shooters, it gets him to the line, easy points, you know, and it's just nice to have a guy like him in the starting lineup. And I, I've been very impressed with him over this stretch. My player of the week, you already know it because it's on our notes, it's Ricky Rubio, and here's why. We need to take a step back and realize how important Ricky Rubio is for this team. And I think that this week has really shown it. Now, he is his numbers are not like staggering if you look at what he's doing. And it's 12.5 points, 5.8 rebounds, which is pretty good, and 8.1 assists. He leads the team in raw plus minus, which doesn't mean much, but it's 5.4. Uh, and he's followed by Booker and Baines. He's shooting currently 38% from the field, which is ugly, but 34% from three, which is just about as good as you want him to do. Obviously, you'd you'd hope for better, but 34 is like an expected, like a probable good shooting for him, and 86% from the line where he's doing relatively well at getting fouled. But those numbers don't tell the full story, and I think that this specific stretch for him has proved that, or or without him, I, I should say, has proved that, because this team... The offense slows down so quickly without him. And it's not just his penetration. It's not just his passing and his assists. It's the leadership on the floor. The ability to quickly recognize mismatches. The ability to move the ball to a guy who maybe isn't feeling it or to a guy who is feeling it, right, in the right moment. There's just, you know, even even Devin Booker, for all his playmaking improvements that he's made for the past few years, what Ricky Rubio does to create buckets for other people is unmatched on this team. And I think that I, I, I guess I tend to pick like different options for <laughs> weird uh, segments like this. So Ricky Rubio is my out of the box option. And I think that I've come to appreciate him even more without him than when he's playing. Yeah, no, I, I think you make good points. Um, I honestly was thinking of choosing Aaron Baines as my player of the week too. Yeah. But then I figured we both couldn't be assholes like that. So I had to choose something a little more legitimate. But, you know, I haven't been to a Suns game yet this year. Obviously, I'm I'm not in Arizona. But something I would really look forward to is if I could somehow get close enough to that court. And I can't afford those tickets. But if I could somehow get close <laughs> enough to the court to hear uh, the job that both Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines do communicating on defense, because I think that's something that we've really lost, not just Rubio, but both of them. 
over the past five games. The Suns have changed their defensive scheme in terms of what they're doing, but also just not always being there when they need to switch a screen and not knowing what's going on at the back end. And it's something that has affected all guys equally, and it's something that is kind of everyone's fault equally. Um, But that's really the sort of thing that James Jones was talking about when he wanted to bring in veteran leadership. It's not just about being in the locker room and talking about, you know, the the very basic thing you can do as a veteran is bring the rookies along and and make sure they stay out of trouble and keep their nose down, right? Not make the same sort of mistakes as guys like Marquise Chris or Josh Jackson or whoever. But beyond that, you actually want them to serve a developmental purpose on the court as well. And that's what Rubio and Baines are doing with the communication they do on defense. Right. It's a huge reason why we've regre- um, regressed yeah. over the past couple of weeks. I'm so glad that you brought up defense because you're right in that the zone was smart. It was smart in, in specific instances where it was actually unleashed. That one case. Yeah. In, in Yeah, that one case. And I thought the times that they did it early in, in the Nuggets game made sense. But the reason the zone makes sense is because the players that are left and playing on the team are bad at defense (laughs) compared to Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines. I think without Ricky Rubio, without his on-ball pressure, without his ability to make ball handlers uncomfortable, a zone makes sense because then you just kind of suck up some space. And I think that Aaron Baines makes a massive, huge difference there as well because he can defend so well around the paint and he takes those charges so well but also he's like an immovable rock Mm -hmm. if you're trying to post up uh so you don't need necessarily need to to employ a zone to get guys like carl carl anthony towns for example to not get the ball super close to the rim but that's the reason that the zone is being used i i i expect the zone to be in the playbook when ricky rubio and aaron baines are back I expect it to be used a lot less because you just don't need it as much. And I think Ricky yep. Rubio's defense is sort of easily overlooked, right? He doesn't get, he gets steals. He doesn't get a lot of blocks, but you know, it, it's something that if you can make the ball handler on the other team, the main ball handler uncomfortable regularly throughout the game, it pays dividends at the end of a game because it's just, it, you might not see it. They might be passing a little earlier than they want to. They might just be getting rid of the ball instead of attacking those don't show up in the stat sheet a lot of times. And Rubio has done very well at that so far. And back spasms are, they're painful and it hurts a lot. (laughs) I had personal experience. Yeah. I had neck spasms for the first time a few weeks ago and I was completely immobilized. Literally. I I found myself, I couldn't sleep. I'm a side sleeper. I found myself not being able to even sleep because I couldn't sleep, sleep on my side. I had to lay on my back and just stare at the ceiling for like 24 hours. I felt like I was going completely insane so I can sort of relate to what Rubio is feeling. And it does feel, because your muscles get so tense during a spasm, uh, they get very sore. It becomes very sore afterwards. So I, I could see it taking a little bit of time. I, I would expect, unless the spasms are still happening, which I don't think, because usually it doesn't last longer than a day, I would expect him to be back for the, the next game on Tuesday. And I think uh, if you look at the schedule, and we can switch over to that before we finish this episode, there's a reason why we're not super mad about 8-8, eight and eight, right? There's only two games in the next week. Washington is one of them. Washington, not very good. Bradley Beal, of course, very good, and, and he can explode at any time. I sat courtside for one of the uh, Bradley Beal games where he destroyed the, the Suns, so I've seen it very close <laughs> up and personal, and uh, he's ridiculous. Um, but the next few games, Washington, 
that could be a W, especially with a fully healthy team. Aaron Baines is an interesting one. He took a knee from Jalen Brown. We don't really know what that injury is. It's like a strained ribs, or I don't know what they're saying, but we don't know how long that's going to take. And then Dallas. Dallas is fucking ridiculous right now. The, <laughs> I, I don't know how to... What's weird about the way Dallas plays... A tangent again, I'm sorry. But I can't wait for that game. Just to- they, <laughs> they kill you in the first quarter. They just kill you. That's their whole goal, right? They want to put it on you in the first quarter. And then they throw haymaker after haymaker after haymaker if they're up at all. And that means they can absolutely bury you if you let them get ahead of you in that first quarter. So that game will be really interesting. The Suns will have to come out strong in that first quarter and defend very, very well. Uh, that's a game where it would be nice to see Mikhail Bridges start on Luka Doncic because he did so well on him last year, but it's not going to happen. Uh, so we'll see Kelly Oubre probably starting off guarding him there. Good luck. I mean, it's hard to guard him. He's, he makes really smart decisions. So we got that Washington game, then then the uh, Dallas game. But then we got the Hornets, the Magic, the Pelicans, uh, and then the Rockets. And then you have the Timberwolves, the Grizzlies, and then the Spurs, who are very bad, and Portland, who hasn't been very good after that. That's that's like a relatively easy stretch for the Suns as oh, far yeah. as Western Conference teams go. So 8-8, eight and eight, not great. But if the team can get healthy, there's a good chance that they can be well above 500, or a few games above 500, I should say, Yeah, they after the next 10 games or so. They need Rubio and Baines back to win these games, um, but they are winnable games as long as they're somewhat healthy. Because the other thing we think about, to give these other teams some credit, is that uh, the, the Suns have played a lot of home games up until this point, first of all. You know, now they're going to start to get into the stretch of the season where they have to make up some of that and play a little bit more on the road. I hope they don't struggle with that, but it's definitely a possibility that you have to keep in mind. Um, these next two games in particular, though, should just be a really fun brand of basketball in particular that I'm looking forward to watching. Like, Washington yeah. comes into this game as the number two ranked offense in the NBA by offensive rating. Yeah. Now, they're dead last in defense. I have a feeling playing Isaiah Thomas 25 minutes a game has something <laughs> to do with that, but it's not its not just him, too. It's kind of their whole uh, defensive personnel is really, really struggling, except for Bradley Beal. Um, and then the Mavs are the number one offense in the NBA. So uh, if you're a Suns fan, it's a little bit scary, but honestly, that should excite you because the Suns are a pretty good offensive team this year with their system, uh, getting a lot of assists. Their offensive rating is up there towards the top as well. So this could be a fun couple of games just to watch from a basketball standpoint. And I hope the Suns can do well. Um, probably my projection would be one and one. Obviously, I'd hope for two and oh. Yeah, I think that's a fair projection. Unless we knew for sure that Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines were coming back, uh, yeah, I, I I would have a tough time picking two and zero in this week. I just I, I did watch today the Dallas Mavericks uh, taking apart the Houston Rockets as well. So that's yeah, right. Fresh on my and, mind. and that's what's crazy is I didn't I didn't actually watch that game, but I was just following along. The fact that they were able to do that against the Houston Rockets, who have been meshing as well as they have recently, yeah. it's. It's a very good team that the Suns are about to play. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and the Rockets are super weird, so <laughs> one game doesn't really matter uh, for the Rockets because if, if the shots just aren't falling, it, it can look really bad. And, and Russell Westbrook is If it's a bad like, Russ game, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like slowly disintegrating. Uh, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure about the Rockets and, and how they look, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and we'll be back after those two games next week, and we'll preview some of the games after that. Uh, like I guess the best way to wrap up how we felt is the Suns are eight and eight, and we're not really mad about it, right? Nope, we're not mad about it at all. Keep the faith, people. 
Uh, Mikhail Bridges is going to be fine. Uh, let's see. What else did we talk about this week? The Suns are 8-8. Eight and eight. No reason to be mad about it. They're going to start winning yeah. games. Yeah, and happy happy Thanksgiving, happy to, Thanksgiving to everyone by the way. celebrating Thanksgiving to, to the Americans, I guess c- celebrating Thanksgiving this week. And maybe maybe keep your eye on our Twitter account for a potential Black Friday sale on some of our T-shirts. But uh, we'll talk to you next week. We just want to rage. It's a new day and age. Don't let them tell us what we can't be. At the end of the day, we are family. Family. We just want to rage. The wait is finally over. Notfest Roadshow is back. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. Featuring Slipknot. With Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.